these bombshells that were released uh, by the Mighty January 6th committee. I mean, a <laughs> lot, a lot to discuss yeah, there. I mean, first, can we talk about the weird one? I mean, the really weird one. <laughs> they're all was, weird. But I don't even know. I want to be very clear. I don't even know which one you're talking about because they're all very strange. But okay, the one with Kimberly Guilfoyle, like while the insurrection was being fomented and they're asking her all of these questions and she goes and she's like, well, look, some time passes because that's how it always does. The president likes there always to be music. He's got a soundtrack that he plays, his pre-approved songs that he plays at every rally. Every once in a while, he makes some changes to it and he likes to do that, build the momentum. And then he gets up and does his things. That's just how it is. And the questioner's like, okay, I'm just trying to figure out a timeline here, Kimberly. At this <laughs> point, when you finish your speech, you're hanging out in the tent, right? Answer. Freezing and dying and hoping he comes soon. Question. And I think this is when I believe the video happens that Don is filming, right? Answer. Yes, because they're playing the music, right? Which is the president's approved soundtrack of songs. And one of them that plays at all his rallies besides YMCA is Gloria. I don't know the name of the song. Question. I think it's YMCA by the village people. Have you watched the Trump rallies? No, I, I think it's called Glory. I think that's the name of the song. Oh, yes, yes, that's the song. But he also, it, it's an 80s pop song. Yes, but he also plays YMCA as well. Oh, my gosh. So they played that, and I'm a child of the 80s, so I like that. And then Don goes to me. He's like, princess. I think he said, princess, you know, show us your dance moves. And I'm a really good dancer. <laughs> okay, that's that's what Dude. Kimberly Guilfoyle. Okay, that's hey. that's not the bombshell. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's not the bombshell. <laughs> but I had to I had to read it. But that's not the bombshell. Uh, I it, mean, just goes, it just goes back, Ben. Like when you're reading that and you're just listening to Kimberly Guilfoyle talk, you're just like, no, okay. I don't want to be in the same room as you. I don't want to grab a beer with you. Like you, you have to be able to call these people weird and dangerous, and just just not be ashamed that you're doing that because they are. They're both weird and dangerous. And Kimberly Guilfoyle isn't someone that I want to go grab a beer with after we do this show yeah, tonight. Well, I'm just not going to do it. I want something that's just going to talk to me normally. I mean, it's the president's yeah. soundtrack. She is really YMCA really living really in good the answer. Well, you know wow. the, the the reason also that she's she doing it is because she's. The reason she's doing that and saying that is because she's lying. Like when they asked her questions like, yeah, she's um, acting, do you know uh, what the fake electors were or the contingent electors are? Did you understand that plan at all? I don't, I don't recall any of that. And just uh, sometimes uh, what people do when they lie, it's just they have it. As someone who's cross-examined liars, they try to fill up the air with just kind of nonsense and try to run out the clock on you because she's basically lying about everything there. Like there are messages from her talking about linking Steve Bannon to Mark Meadows. And when she's confronted with that in her depositions, yeah, I don't, I don't recall that. I don't know why I would do that. I don't, I don't recall. Well, it says it right there. And then you go back to Cassidy Hutchinson's original depositions um, before she spoke publicly. She said, what the Trump lawyers were telling me to say is just say you don't She's recall. Just a fucking, the January 6th committee doesn't, you know, won't know. But by the way, be. saying you don't recall, if it's clear that you do recall, is also a form of perjury, which could indeed be criminal. So oh, in addition to looking nice. embarrassing and humiliating, you can't just lie 
and say, I don't recall if indeed there is a record of you actually uh, recalling. And then there's the Stephanie Grisham, uh, uh, her deposition, and she was the press secretary for a short period of time. And in her deposition, she talks about how what she heard during the insurrection, not directly, but secondhand from people who were in the know, was that Donald Trump thought that the outfits by the insurrectionists were, quote, very tacky, very tacky, too tacky for his taste. Mm -hmm. But he liked how the insurrectionists were fighting for him. He really liked that aspect of it, that they were fighting for him. But a little bit too tacky of the outfits. Wish they wow. would have changed I the I think outfits. he also called them trashy, too, Ben. I think that was, that was also in there as well. But it is just well, He's got to say something bad. He hates his own followers. Like, he hates his supporters. He really does. If you're a MAGA person in this chat right now trolling us, he hates you. He wouldn't piss on you if you were on fire. He just wouldn't. He despises everything about you other than the fact that you fight his fights for him and that you go to jail for him. It's sad, but it's true. And it's happening to you. You're getting taken right now. MAGA troll in the chat. You are getting taken. <laughs> How about the deposition of Ronna McDaniel, which shows that Donald Trump had introduced John Eastman to her and was aware of the fake elector scheme. That goes to Donald Trump's mens rea or mental state in a potential criminal indictment of him. I thought this one was devastating. And for those following at home, you go to page uh, seven and eight of the deposition where mm -hmm. she's asked first, I'll give you the setup first. So do you understand what I mean by alternate electors? It was, yeah, my understanding of them were as contingent electors in case any legal challenges changed the result of any state. So then they would have met as necessary on, on step in case bimbo. to meet the requirement by the Supreme Court. But they were contingent in case legal challenges changed uh, something in any particular state. Question. So when was the first time that you can recall learning about the concept that these alternate electors were going to meet and cast electoral votes? Answer. So to the best of my recollection, the first, I don't have the exact date, now we're on page eight, my memory is that it was after kind of the White House Christmas party season and prior to December 14th. So somewhere maybe within a few days before December 14th that I received a call for the RNC to help bring the electors together for this contingent purpose based on potential legal challenges that hadn't been finished yet. Question. I know it's hard to recall specific dates from something that happened a long time ago, but the Supreme Court rejected the petition in Texas versus Pennsylvania on December 11th of 2020. Do you recall whether that call you received was before or after the Supreme Court's action? Answer, I don't recall. I really don't recall when it would be. It would have come through the White House switchboard, so my gut would be that it was before that. Okay, but do you recall there being any express conversation about whether or not there was still a case pending with the Supreme Court? Answer. My understanding is that there was that case, but there were other cases, so I don't really remember. So there was many cases going on. Question. Okay. And who was the call from? Now, this is where I want everyone to pay attention. When I received the call again, I don't remember the exact date. It was from the White House switchboard, and it was President Trump who had contacted me, question. And did President Trump have anyone else on with him? Answer, he introduced me to a gentleman named John Eastman, question. 
And was it just the three of you on the call, meaning Trump, Eastman, and you? Answer, I don't know. Okay. As far as you know, though, you were only the three of you? Answer, as far as I know, those were the only people who spoke on the call. Okay. And then it goes on, you know, it goes on to have more of the kind of conversation here. But recall, Jordy, that a federal judge has already found that Donald Trump and Eastman were in a cons criminal conspiracy together in connection with Eastman trying not to turn over his records into the January 6th committee. The judge, federal judge David Carter, said that they were not involved in a normal attorney-client relationship, but they were involved in a coup in search of a legal theory mm -hmm. and stated that not only were they engaged in criminal conduct, but that the messages that they were sending were in furtherance of the criminal conspiracy and obstruction to try to overthrow our democracy. And so here, when you take what is being said by Ronna McDaniel, where she goes, I just thought and that it was contingent. Trump so only if we won in court plus would these electors GQP be activated. In the Yet where the questioning eventually point. goes, Remove and the questioner does immediately. a very a skilled job as you go down further in the deposition to basically say, well, Under 14th um, Amendment. Eastman ever say anything about the electors being useful at the joint session on January 6th? Or what about the possibility of state legislatures adopting those electors? And did Professor Eastman give any other reasons why those alternative electors or those contingent electors may be necessary? Because even though, and this is where it gets criminal, once they lost the cases and still pushed the contingent electors, the fraudulent electors, now you're involved in a criminal conspiracy to overthrow the democracy. Those are precisely what the emails that Judge David Carter was looking at showed. So you have Ronna McDaniel now, who's going to be a pivotal witness, because she said Trump and Eastman, both of them called me. So when Eastman gets thrown under the bus, Trump was on the call. That's why that, to me, was some blockbuster testimony there, Jay. What do you think? You know Jack Smith, Ben, is just sitting there, just collecting everything, just collecting it all. I, I got so much faith in Jack Smith, man. And by the way, that wasn't everything that's been released. Over the weekend, Ben, the January 6th committee, they released a trove of of materials from their final report. I mean, released even more than the, what's already been out there. So it's just a lot of, Under of the time 14th for people Amendment. to really go through it. I just genuinely feel like the American people were robbed of an opportunity to just see everything laid out there, just which is how fast the January 6th committee had to move. Think about it. They conducted their whole investigation. They got people to come in. They they really did an excellent job and they were super efficient with the time that they had. But just, you know, they're able to run out the clock on them, which is quite frustrating. But as we see, I mean, th this isn't over yet. Jack Smith now has all of these materials just at the ready. And one of the other things that we saw, Ben, was was the Hope Hicks, Trump's Trump's advisor, when the insurrection was going down. That Jan the January 6th committee released these text message exchanges, which basically has Hope Hicks. Um, who's she talking with here, Ben? She's talking with the chief of staff from Ivanka hey, Trump. Who, who's the person there, Ben? Can you help me out? Thank you. I think her name is like Julianne something. But Rudd, Rudd, yeah, it's, exactly. And so anyway, she's so she's, with that. But any event, okay. so she's Ivanka's chief of staff speaking to Hope Hicks. And what Hope Hicks and Ivanka's Julie Radford. chief of staff. 
what they're mo what they're focused on right now is like losing their job. Jay, you want to read those messages? Yeah, I mean these messages are are disturbing. So Ivanka Shifa's staff, her name is Julie Radford. And so as the January 6th insurrection, well, while we're in the thick of it, as Ben mentioned, Hope Hicks is just so mad, not at the insurrection, but that she deems herself unemployable and that all of these people now are gonna call her domestic terrorists. So let's start here. So if you're watching this. Hope Hicks, she's in the blue text box, and uh, Julie's in the in the grayish white. So it starts off, it says, uh, this is from Hope. It says, in one day, he ended every future opportunity that doesn't include speaking engagement at the local Proud Boys chapter. Julie, yep, Hope. And all of us that didn't have jobs lined up will be perpetually unemployed. I'm so mad and upset. We all look like domestic terrorists now. Julie, oh yes, I've been crying for an hour. And again, I just wanna be clear. They're not upset at the insurrection. They're upset at their future their future employment opportunities have now dwindled because of the psychotic person that they continue to work for and, and outwardly show support for. So I think the text messages even go on to say something to the effect of, and this is from Hope. She says, she has no idea. I think she, in this instance, not confirmed, but I'm pretty sure she's talking about Ivanka she's, since uh, they're texting uh, Julie here. So Hope says, she has no idea this made us all unemployable, like untouchable. God, I'm so effing mad. And Julie says, I know there isn't a chance of finding a job. Visa also sent me a blow off email today already. And then Hope goes back and says, nope, not being dramatic, but we are all effed. Alyssa looks like a genius. And Alyssa in this case is Alyssa Griffin Farrow, who was working with the Trump administration, who stepped down and said, hey, this is too crazy for me, I'm leaving. So in that instance, Hope Hicks is like, why am I even working for this madman? But this is what they do, Ben, behind closed doors. They're, they're able to speak so openly and freely to each other about how much they hate the situation that they're in. Not that about the insurrection. Let's be clear. Let's be clear. They're mad that their future job opportunities have vanished. And they're trashing Trump, trashing the administration, saying, I can't believe I didn't leave. But it's all me, me, me with these people. It's just like, there's something bigger happening here. I'm sorry that Visa said that. Ultimately, you're working for the worst people in the world. And look, people should have jobs. Like, you should be able to get jobs. But when you refuse to step down all the way into January 6th, while the insurrection's going on, and you're continuing to work for these lunatics, I, I stop feeling bad for you. I don't care about your future work opportunities. When the whole government is under attack, Ben, when you look problem, at what's maybe? going on and the peaceful transition of power is just being completely laughed at and mocked in live time for people just to, to watch... It is terrifying. Like, that's the emotion that you should have when the insurrection's happening. Like, oh, my God, this is terrible for the country. This is just an awful scene. This is embarrassing on a national stage, on a global stage. This is just awful for everybody involved. Like, people are getting hurt. This is dangerous. Oh, my goodness, there are senators and folks in that building right now. Like, this is scary. But no, no. These MAGA Republicans cannot put themselves in anybody else's shoes. They're worried about me, me, me. And those texts that came up from the January 6th committee just further solidifies that i'm worried about my job opportunities come on you would think that they should say hey we need to quit right now we need to come out with a statement condemning this what can we do to stop this where can we put our resources to try to help and make this situation come to an end those would be the messages that you would expect in this situation, not like, oh, my God, I didn't get this job. Oh, my God, we're so unemployable now. And it kind of has this tie in also with Kevin McCarthy, where at some point 
you're trying to win. You're trying to get a job. And it goes to Santos also. But you're willing to destroy America, cheat, steal, do whatever you can do without any sense of the repercussions. And then when the repercussions like stare you in the face, you're then so cowardly to address it and you only compound the damage that's being that's being done. Jordy, that was one of the other ones, though, in addition to that was a good one to point out was um, the message between Tony Ornato used to be in the Secret Service, then became a top Trump advisor and Cassidy Hutchinson. These are text messages that confirm that Donald Trump wanted, you know, to show up and basically storm the Capitol himself. And so we have like contemporaneous messages that back up all this stuff. And I'll say this to your point, Jay, about how important the release of these deposition transcripts and evidence was. I think in many ways, the way the January 6th has choreographed the release of this information has almost been equally as powerful as the report itself and perhaps even more powerful than the report itself because the report really shed light on everything we saw if you were following the january 6th committee's public hearings but to see the data to see it for yourself you know to truly actually you know do the research by examining the raw data not what Fox wants to inject the disinformation in your veins, like to read what were the people saying and doing at this time. That is how I like to judge these situations too. Not just even framed by, okay, the January 6th committee did this great presentation. Here's a great report. All right, now I want to dig into the data myself. And it's even more shocking, I think, than the way the January 6th committee presented it. I, I, I'll just give you this other example. Um, you know, you go into... General Mark Milley's deposition. And, you know, there's parts of Mark Milley's deposition where, like, he's talking to Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, and she's saying things like, you know that Trump is crazy, right? Like, with respect to, like, the nuclear codes, are we safe and secure? And he's saying, look, even though the president could make the order, there's so many redundancies in place to avoid an immoral or crazy launch from happening. That's what he's talking about in real time. Our top general, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, is saying that to the Speaker of the House. Um, also, everyone was talking about, and, and Millie reflects this, how Donald Trump was in this very dark period and how even other countries, allies and enemies, had no clue what was happening with our country. And so they had to reach out to all of their counterparts to let them know that he wasn't going to do something crazy because everybody internationally was like, what the heck is going on in this country? Yeah. And so he had to make all these phone calls saying, we know that he's deranged, but we've got this under control. And then there was just this other one piece of it that is getting less attention, but I think we should talk about it here for a second. And it's a situation where um, he mentions a, about uh, where Cash Patel um, hands him this piece of paper and they're all in this room together. Um, and one of the things that uh, General Milley says is that, like, you know, the thing with Trump is sometimes there would be something that would happen that could, like, totally destroy our country. And then I'd have to address it with him. 
And then when I would address it with him, I'd get like not, like no real answers. And then I'd be told, oh, no, no, don't, don't ignore that. That's not really what I meant. And so the way General Milley said it is he goes, he was talking about how Cash Patel's name was floated to replace uh, the head of the CIA. And he was saying, yeah, that was being discussed, but also the idea that someone goes and reverses an order relatively quickly, I'd seen that several different times. And for those wanting to follow, just go to page 105 of Mark Milley, General Milley's deposition. I'm going to read this for you. This is quite harrowing. And he goes, one example is, I received a written document on the 11th. And I don't know, it's the 12th. I think it is the 12th of November, three days after Secretary of Esper is relieved. I get called up into acting Secretary of Defense Miller's office. And it's Miller, me, and Cash Patel. Cash Patel hands me a piece of paper. I testified to this in front of Congress like three weeks ago, but he hands me a piece of paper to me signed by then President Trump. I open it up and it basically has two sentences in it. And it says, you are hereby ordered to withdraw all U.S. military forces from Somalia no later than the 31st of December. The second sentence says, you are directed to withdraw all U.S. forces from Iraq by January 15th. That's it. And there was another line that said something like, inform all allies or something like that. And I looked at Cash Patel and I said, who gave the president the military advice for this? Did you do this, Cash? And he said, oh, no, no, no. I, I had nothing to do with it. So then I look at the acting secretary of defense, Miller, and I said, did you give the president military advice on this? And he goes, oh, no, 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 I didn't, not me. I said, okay, well, we got to go over and see the president and then make sure that he's fully informed, going back to the constitutional responsibilities to make sure he's fully informed. It's a legal order, but I want to make sure I've got duties to do here, constitutional duties that I've got to make sure he's properly advised. So we go over to the White House. We walk into the National Security Advisor's office. Robert O'Brien hand him the order, this piece of paper, and said, Robert, where's this coming from, and is this true? And O'Brien says to me, I've never seen this before. And I said, okay. Then Kellogg, Keith Kellogg, the National Security Advisor to the Vice President is there. Kellogg says, let me see this piece of paper. Kellogg takes the piece of paper, looks at it, and says what? Of course. Okay, they don't want me to, they don't want you to hear this. So if you do happen to miraculously hear this podcast, share it just to fuck them up, fuck up their algorithm. Right, chickies? Okay. So I'm going to pull it up. Close up. Uh, what's this called again? See, I can't, they won't let me make it larger. One view to my uh, things that I've I uploaded.
rats. I guess I'm gonna have to close the app. I'm gonna upload this. Please, now me done. Feliz Navidad, everybody! Exclamation point. May 2023 usher in a new era of Christ consciousness. Exclamation point. Merry Mass christening. I hard radio tag him. You know they really want to play my shit. Ah yo. Prospero año y felicidad. Okay, so now let's uploading see video. I wanna wish you better Christmas. Okay, so Midas Touch. Midas Touch. Oh, wait, there it is. Justice looms. Jack Smith looms over MAGA traders this new year. Yes. Thank the Lords. Uh, Jack Smith Hello, over 2023. This okay. I don't know where really we're going on there. Definitely what he's upset about. And so he's blaming Biden because he didn't get the crowd that he wanted to show up at his event. And so now the entire airline industry, he lies about that the airline industry is completely down. You can't even fly anymore. I mean, it's it's the ultimate. And so for our audio listeners, that was at the Mar-a-Lago New Year's Eve event, right, Ben? Where he was giving yeah. that speech. And so hmm. this is why. And now we just continue to see, like, it, it's a consistent pattern and theme that he just continues to hit on. And to your point exactly, for all just the fathers out there who have daughters, like, could you imagine someone? Hello, 2023. This is the first podcast of the new year for the Midas Touch podcast. And we hope you had a great new year. Because you know who didn't have a good new year? Donald Trump. Donald Jack, Trump Donald held a low-energy New Year's <laughs> event at Mar-a-Lago that kind of looked like a funeral where he <laughs> ranted and raved like a desperate loser, mad person that he is. And let's compare, Jordy, Trump's New Year's message 
to President Biden. Ooh, love that. MAGA Republicans, meanwhile, are in complete disarray in the new year because that's just who they are. Kevin McCarthy is facing a reckoning with the MAGA extremist base that he not only enabled, but he aided and abetted. As of this live recording, McCarthy still does not have the votes to become the Speaker of the House. He has already agreed to a concession that he can be recalled by Republicans and a no-confidence vote by five members. So basically, he has no power. I mean, he could be removed at literally any time. Yet he still hasn't secured the speakership yet. (laughs) Insults are flying back and forth as of this recording. This is MAGA weirdo fascist land. Ben, could you please explain the process of the House Speaker selection? Question mark. It is very strange that Apparently, Trump could be come House Speaker without even being a member of Congress. Is that true? Question mark. So weird. Exclamation point. Thanks for all you guys do. Love you the best. I am your number one fan. And proud Midas Touch Mighty Producer! Exclamation point. Prime. And speaking of MAGA fascist land, the House Republicans introduced their House Rules Package which essentially guts and removes the staffing from the bipartisan Office of Congressional Ethics. It also removes the right for staffer unionization. And get this, Jordy, it establishes its own select committee to investigate and attack the Department of Justice and the FBI. That's basically the first act of the MAGA Republicans to go and attack law enforcement because they are investigating their cult leader, Donald Trump. And think about it. Not only have the House Republicans remained silent in the face of the MAGA fraud, George Santos, who has lied about basically everything and is under multiple criminal investigations, but the Republican Party's first thing it did in the House of Representatives was to basically remove the ability of the Office of Congressional Ethics to function and do its work. It's staring us right in the face, people. These people are fascists. And I want to also talk about the newest George Santos revelations. And this one, Jordan, I'm not sure if you heard it. While he claimed to have been married, this is when he was 30 years old, he was also now, we learned, in a relationship with an 18-year-old man. He claimed he was married to a woman at the age of 30. He was in a relationship with an 18-year-old who was living with him at the time, who left him because the 18-year-old realized that Santos was lying to him. And then Santos also claimed he went to NYU Business School. Uh, it lies oh about you know everything, everything, everything. 
And the January 6th committee has completed its publication of deposition transcripts and other evidence that they made public. And it's a good thing they made all of this public, Jordy, because the other thing that the Republicans are doing, one of their first acts, they will be seizing all of the January 6th committee files and materials. But no fear, we have them all available publicly. We've dissected them here at the Midas Touch Network. And there are some new bombshells in the material released by the January 6th committee that we want to discuss. We can also discuss the fact that Donald Trump's weird, grifting NFT has totally crashed. The demand has almost fallen to nothing. Donald Trump's SPAC has completely crashed. It's basically trading at now what SPACs start out at. It's trading at about $15 a share. It started at $10. And it was trading close, like over $100. People lost their entire life savings on this. And finally, Katie Hobbs has been sworn in as the governor of Arizona. Right? This means that uh, Katie Hobbs is now officially Carrie Lake's governor. A good day. Love it. This is the Midas Touch podcast. Brett Micellis is still on his New Year's vacation. Jordy, you were previously on a vacation. This is why I am making the case to be the favorite brother to the audience out there. Continuity, stability. <laughs> Does this I mean you're next, though, Ben? I took a vacation. Brett took a vacation. You still haven't taken a vacation. Or Does this mean you're next? People want to know. Jordy, how are you doing otherwise? I'm doing well, B. I'm doing well. You just totally ignored my question. We'll ultimately see if you do take a vacation. That's what the people desperately want to know. But you were breaking things down, Ben. And just, I'm always just so amazed that we go through this list every Monday and Thursday. And it just feels like we're reading Mad Libs. Like, it feels like you're reading, uh, we did a round of Mad Libs and just insert. I cannot believe that there's more. I can believe it. It's just amazing to me that there's more coming out more lies being revealed from Santos. I mean, this guy, just an utter fraud. Happy New Year, everybody. Things are going to get crazy, so buckle up. Ben, where do we want to start off with well, today? Well, just think about, Jordy, when you can frame George Santos in a lot of different kind of positions in the MAGA zeitgeist. I mean, he's a complete liar. He's a complete and total fraud. He's under criminal investigation. But then again, it also highlights what the Republican Party has become, who they are, right? Not just want to be fascists, but also just complete cowards. And we've talked about this before, which is if you can't look at an insurrection. What? true that you pay $750 in federal income taxes each of those two years. I paid millions of dollars in taxes, millions of dollars of income tax. And let me just tell you, there was a story in one of the papers. I paid, I paid $38 million one year. I paid $27 million Show us your tax year. I went. <laughs> uh, you'll see it as soon as it's finished. You'll see it. You know what you want to do? Go to the Board of Elections. There's a 118-page or so report. That says everything I have, every bank I have, I'm totally under leveraged because the assets are extremely good. 
and we have a very, we have a, we, I built Sir, a great I'm asking you a specific question, which but is, let me tell you, I, I understand all of that, I, I understand all of that, I'm not, no, Mr. President, <laughs> will you tell us how much you paid in federal income taxes in 2016 and 2017? Millions of dollars. You paid millions of dollars? Millions in, of dollars. So yes. not so Millions of dollars, and you'll get to see it, I'm, and you'll get to when? see it. Back in 2016 and 2017, you paid only $750. 2018 and 2019 combined, that was about $1.5 million. And 2020, he paid $0 in income tax. What's actually kind of amazing about Trump's taxes is that all of the worst case scenarios... Pines might be the case, ended up being exactly as bad as we thought. In the aftermath of the Ways and Means Committee having released six years of Trump's tax returns, it turns out, and I hope you're sitting down for this, that Trump lied about the exact thing that we figured he would lie about. Now, Trump claims that he paid, quote, millions of dollars in 2016 and 2017, which is quite the claim, considering the actual number that Trump paid in taxes was $750 per year. $750, not even a thousand bucks. You couldn't even buy a used Honda Civic with what Trump paid in taxes. But sure, millions of dollars. Got it. And by the way, for those who say, well, he took losses those years on his businesses, and so of course he didn't have to pay taxes, that's how the system works. That might make sense if we didn't also know that Trump would lie about his property values when it came to taxes and loans. The guy's entire M.O. is to cheat the system, and the result of that was someone who paraded himself around as some patriot, some champion of working people, some American hero, and yet this purported billionaire barely paid a cent toward the country that he claimed to love so much. Barely paid a cent toward firefighters and police officers and teachers. But please, tell me again how he's a patriot. But look, we already knew that Trump was a tax cheat, just like we already knew that the Trump Organization was a con. Trump cheating on his taxes in the United States, while shameful, wasn't surprising. But here's where it gets more insidious. Trump claimed to have closed down certain bank accounts abroad, and yet according to his own tax returns, that wasn't the case. Here's what Trump pretended about his Chinese bank account, followed by the reality. This is for you. Since you took office, you've never divested from your business. You've personally promoted your properties abroad. A report this week, which was referenced, does indicate that your company has a bank account in China. So how can voters know that you don't have any foreign conflict of interest? I have many bank accounts, and they're all listed, and they're all over the place. I mean, I was a businessman doing business. The bank account you're referring to, which is everybody knows about it, it's listed. The bank account was in 2013. That's what it was. It was opened and do it was closed in 2015, I believe. And then I decided because I was going to do I was thinking about doing a deal in China, like millions of other people. I was thinking about it and I decided I'm not gonna do it. Didn't like it. I decided not to do it, had an account open, and I closed it. Okay. Excuse me. And then, unlike him, uh -huh. where he's vice president and uh -huh. he does business, 
I then decided to run for president after that. That was before. So I closed it before I even ran for president, let alone became president. Big difference. The other thing, and this is important because it was one of the things that we are looking for in these additional documents, is his foreign bank accounts. We have just learned that he did hold foreign bank accounts the entire time that he was in office. In 2015, actually, let's start with 2016. He had bank accounts in the United Kingdom, Ireland, China, and St. Martin. 2017, UK, Ireland, and China, and then 2018 and 2020, just in the UK. The reason why this is so important, we're going to do a deeper dive into all these foreign entities, is because the entanglement that Trump had with foreign business was a huge part of the narrative while he was in office. And now we're going to find out actually how far that actually went. I'm sorry, but I just find it so funny that this guy predicated his entire political identity on being tough on China. The guy was doing business in China. He had bank accounts in China. He was in bed financially with the Chinese, all the while making his supporters out to look like abject fools by just offering these surface-level condemnations of China. Tell you what, the silence from all those people who spent the last two years whining about... Hunter Biden's Chinese business dealings, while failing to say a single word about Donald Trump's Chinese business dealings, is pretty damn deafening right about now. And look, it's not just the fact that Trump did business overseas. Other than him lying about it, we could have assumed as much. But the fact is that this is something that Americans had a right to know about, given Donald Trump's position as president. You don't think it's important to know whether the yeah. guy is conducting foreign policy based on Why his own business interests? To, to know whether he's presidents. sending American kids to die in wars that are selected based on one man... financial dealings? If it was Joe Biden, I sure as hell would want to know. And yet the fact that Republicans won't offer up a single syllable to condemn Donald Trump goes to show that all of their faux outrage about being patriots was just a thin veneer to hide the fact that they're not interested in protecting the country, they're interested in professing loyalty to Donald Trump. But remember, definitely not a cult. No, Hey everybody, it's Tony Robbins. Listen, we're going through some pretty rough times right now. That would be the nicest way of saying it. Tremendous uncertainty in the economy, inflation, concerns about crime. 
And yet, in the midst of all that, there are people that always seem to, way to find a way to succeed. Not only succeed, but to enjoy themselves, take care of their family, find their center, even when it's challenging. Have you ever met somebody like now, Trump responded to the public release of his tax returns with a statement saying, quote, the Democrats should have never done it, the Supreme Court should have never approved it, and it's going to lead to horrible things for so many people. The great USA divide will now grow far worse. The radical left Democrats have weaponized everything, but remember, that is a dangerous two-way street. Ah, yes, a two-way street. I don't see any way around the fact that House Republicans will likely compel Joe Biden's tax returns to also be released now, which would be bigger news if he hadn't already released them himself, along with every other president for the last 50 years. But yeah, that two-way street sure does sound horrible. So look, you might be asking, what was the point of this? Well, the point was to see if there is a legislative remedy needed to bolster the presidential audit process. And considering the IRS didn't even start to audit Donald Trump until 2019, and considering even that audit was only triggered after the Ways and Means Committee sought Donald Trump's taxes, and considering the audit wasn't even finished, the answer is very clearly yes, we do need legislation. The House had passed a bill that would require the IRS to publicly release president's tax returns and do mandatory audits, and that passed by a vote of 222 to 201. The bill wasn't passed by the Senate, what with the 60-vote threshold and a Republican Party's inability to do anything that might even give the impression that they're taking action against Donald Trump. But again, definitely not a cult. And so now, we'll continue to carry on with no laws protecting the American people from a president who may very well be seeking power solely to benefit himself financially. And the same people who fall over themselves claiming to be paid Reporters feel good, even though they derive exactly nothing from it. Except, of course, the minor pang of shame that comes from moments like this one, where all of us can point to Trump's tax returns, which show exactly what we thought they'd show from the beginning. Yeah. Before you yeah, Income taxes each of those two years. I paid millions of dollars in taxes, millions of dollars of income tax, and let me just tell you, there was a story in one of the papers, I paid, I paid $38 million dollars one year. I paid $27 million Show us one year. I went, yeah, uh, you'll see it as soon as it's finished. You'll see it. You know, if you want to do, go to the Board of Elections. There's a 118-page or so report that says everything I have, every bank I have, I'm totally under leveraged because the assets are extremely good. And we have a very, we have a, we, I built Sir, a great I'm asking company. you a specific question, which but is. let me tell you. I, I understand all of that. I, I understand all term. of but, that. But let me, I, no, Mr. President, I'm asking you a question. Will you tell us how much you paid in federal income taxes 
in 2016 and 2017. Millions of dollars. You paid millions of dollars? Millions of dollars. So yes. not seven hundred Millions of dollars. And you'll get to see I, it. I, and you pay seven million show dollars. Show us your tax returns. Year. I went millions of dollars in taxes, millions of dollars of income tax. And let me just say those two years. I paid millions of dollars in taxes, millions of yeah, dollars right. of income tax. <laughs> and let me just tell you, there was a story in millions, one of the papers. I paid, I paid $38 million. Of the papers. I, paid, I paid $38 million one oh, year. Shit. I paid $27 million. Why was this mother I went, flocker uh, even allowed to run finished. for president without disclosing you know, his taxes like every other effing candidate? There's 118 pages of report. Government really sucks. That says everything I have, Jim K. Johnson, a Pulitzer Prize winning investigative reporter for the LA Times, said a couple years ago that in a speech that's on YouTube that Trump owes about a billion dollars. Combined loans of hundreds of millions of dollars to China Communist Bank, Deutsche Bank, which was founded by the Nazis. And Russian mafia. How much you paid Remember in when we thought George W. was the dumbest president in the history of our country? Millions of dollars. Well, you this dude millions makes of dollars. Look like a so voice not millions of dollars. And you'll get to see it. I, I, and you'll get to see it. Back in 20. Will you tell us how much you paid in federal income taxes? in 2016 and 2017. Millions of dollars. You paid millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. So yes. not seven hundred Millions of dollars. And you'll get to see it. I, I, and you'll get yeah. to see it. Back in 2016 and 2017, you paid only seven hundred and fifty dollars. 2018 <laughs> to 2019 combined, that was about one point one million dollars. And 2020, you paid zero dollars in income tax. What's actually kind of amazing about Trump's taxes is that all of the worst case scenarios of dollars in taxes, millions of yeah, dollars right. of income tax. <laughs> and let me just tell you, there was a story in millions, one of the papers. Millions, millions, tax, I paid we finally see Trump's tax returns. I paid $38 million one year. I paid $27 million Why was this mother... Remember when we thought George W. was the in dumbest president in the history of our country? Well, this dude makes him look like a voice guy. And you'll get to see how much you paid in federal income taxes in 2016 and dollars in taxes, millions of dollars yeah, right. of income tax. <laughs> and let me just tell you, there was a story in millions, one of the papers. Millions, millions, I paid thirty eight million dollars. Let me tell you how this is gonna work. Hey, what's going on? Thirty eight million dollars. Twelve hours a day. I paid twenty seven million dollars. Why was this mother Flocker, uh, even allowed to run for president without disclosing his taxes like every other effing candidate. Seriously, our government really sucks.
Oops, I accidentally posted it already. Hey guys. <laughs> Songs for you here. Songs to Trump. And everybody knows that Trump just loves to hear about himself, doesn't he? That comes along with being a narcissistic, psychopathic. No. Songs for LOL Comedy Central. Saving at home. Forever. narcissistic psychopath. They don't call on Jim Dunn's for nothing.
And to these full-on kind of paintings, um, USA were in the jaws of Trump still. Millions of dollars in taxes, millions of yeah, dollars. Millions right. of dollars in taxes, millions of yeah, dollars right. of income tax. <laughs> and let me just tell you, there was a story in millions, one of the papers. Millions, that millions, millions, millions. I paid 